Well, welcome everybody to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. I am Pastor Lucas Hillman, and I get to serve as the lead pastor at Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. This is a weekly podcast discussing theology, scripture, and ideas in the local church to help you flourish in Christ. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the podcast, and this week we are wrapping up Paul's treatment of freedom, strength, weakness, and conscience and engaging with culture uh, in chapter 10 with his last treatment of what it means to engage with creation under God's wisdom and care, and the ultimate goal is in verse chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul will say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's ultimate joy, ultimate aim for the Christian is to see their whole life from beginning to end, even the most ordinary, minute details of our life, as to be done for the glory of God, not selfish pursuits, but rather to honor God. And again, in so doing, we do enjoy measures of freedom, joy, even pleasure as we, again, honor God with our bodies uh, and our minds and our souls. So chapter 10, starting in verse 23, this past week we covered uh, 23 through 33, wrapping up the chapter, and Paul has something to say to the church in Corinth that um, whether they eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, because the church in Corinth was saying they have the right to do anything. I have the right to, uh, again, do anything I want with my body because Christ has already forgiven me. He has gotten rid of the dietary laws and the ceremonial things of, of the old religion. Um, and now the church in Corinth is saying, I don't have any rules to follow, but only what feels good or really what is open to us to a, in a new culture like Corinth. And Paul is saying, listen, um, that may be true theoretically, that Christ has removed all things, um, all restrictions, that there's no exterior markers for holiness. Um, even so much so, in Galatians he'll say, there is neither no Jew or Gentile, uh, slave or free, or even male and female, all are all in Christ. Christ is the identifying marker for the people of God. It is no longer cultural markers or even bodily holiness. But at the same time, Paul will say that that's not the most helpful position to take at times uh, because the lust of the flesh, the temptation of the world, and just the weakness of the flesh is too easily corrupted or just tempted to sin and go against the grace of God which has so freely been given to us. But when it comes to the issue of idols, meat market purchases, um, Paul's just saying don't worry about the origin of these things. Eat anything that's that is sold in the meat market without raising a question of conscience. Now, verse 25 says that, and this is where we got into the idea of conscience and nuance uh, within a culture, because as we engage with an ever-increasing um, connected culture, whether it be locally or globally, um, again, our consciences as Christians are going to differ about how we engage and in what um, 
what level of engagement we have. Now, clearly, in, earlier in chapter 10, Paul says there are things that Christians ought not participate in. Clear lines, distinction. There are absolutes in the Christian life about who we worship, how we use our body, um, and again, how we use our money, time, and all of these different things. There are absolutes. But there are uh, cultural things that are gray, and they're the things that are biblically ambiguous, uh, morally neutral, and can be culturally controversial. Controversial, excuse me. And, and again, within our culture, there are many things like that. In Paul's day, it was a meat sacrifice to idols. If is it okay for you to go over to someone's house? and eat meat that had maybe been given over to a pagan god. Or as Paul will identify in uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, uh, demons. That even if it was offered to demons, well, guess what? God is above the demons and owns the meat already. Um, you know, you can think about it is that God owns it, but again, it is misused. And that really is the doctrine of creation. God is the Lord of creation. This is why he'll say in verse 26 of chapter 10, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We must have a robust doctrine of creation, that creation itself is not, uh, again, fighting for ownership. Um, God already owns it. A doctrine of creation is to say God is the Lord of creation. He owns and wills everything to happen, although misused and maligned by, again, evil spiritual forces or sinful human desires or, uh, again, whatever may misuse God's good gifts, uh, the fact remains that he is still God. He owns it. And, and again, what he has given us is the blessing of enjoying creation as he intended it. Um, it is to bring joy. It is to bring pleasure. It is to bring things to us for sustenance or just uh, happiness, really. I mean, think of meat or drink or food of any kind. Um, and again, not only does it give us fuel for uh, operating in God's world, but it also can bring, like, at least good food can bring us a measure of joy, and that to be it ought to be received with thanksgiving. And one quick note, again, it didn't make it into the sermon, but that it make, it'll make it into the podcast, was I was reading about how where the idea of praying for, for our food kind of uh, emerged from. And from what I was able to gather, just from a quick uh, research, um, was that praying for our food or asking God to bless our food actually kind of emerged out of the Middle Ages and it because it came from a faulty doctrine of creation where it will say uh, that the food we are about to partake in is tainted, it is sinful. Um, it is it is not from God's hand. So we pray for God to bless it, to remove the curse, to remove some sort of evil spirit or to remove uh, something from it. Uh, and then we partake in it. Uh, and it really it comes out of this idea of a, a false view of creation, a dualism that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. Um, and, and that's really anti-biblical, because um, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, listen, your body is, is not the enemy here. Uh, creation is not the enemy here. Food is not the enemy. Uh, idol worship is. Giving our, our affections and our life over to something uh, beyond the physical is bad. Uh, there's one Lord. He and the earth is his. So in the Middle Ages, this kind of a theme awry, uh, kind of emerged uh, that... 
you know, you, you, you have to bless your food. You have to ask God to bless your food, remove the sin before you partake in it. When in reality, we don't bless the food. Uh, I think a Christian take on this would be that we bless God, give thanks to him for his for, for His gracious provision. The fact that we have food, um, it, it is a good gift from God, and we ought to give thanks for it every time we partake. But it, the food doesn't need blessing. It's already God's. Um, but we give thanks to God to say, by your hand, uh, we have received all of these things. And I think that's a more robust doctrine of creation uh, that's necessary for at least engaging with culture and this and that. We ought not be afraid of this world. God is in control. Uh, he is sovereign, as we will often say, and it's his world. And Lord, give us the wisdom to engage rightly. Everything is already yours, even if it's being misused. Help us to discern what is actually the enemy here. And it's oftentimes not the actual physical presenting problem. It's oftentimes the thing behind the thing, right? It is idolatry. It is a false god, a false uh, appetite, a false something else that we're tempted to give ourselves to, right? And this is, again, the idea here that Paul asks us to engage with wisdom, with discernment, and to gauge our feelings, to gauge our um, our even our um, assessment of right and wrong, um, whether it be cultural or biblical. Always measure it against God's revelation, God's scripture. To the best of our ability, we bring our moral evaluations to God's word. And again, that is the standard we desire to bring everything to, to say, is this right or is this wrong? Now the problem becomes, well, what if the Bible doesn't speak explicitly on this particular topic? Well, in, in Paul's case, the Bible doesn't, well, again, in his case, the Old Testament really didn't say, uh, if, 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 if meat is sacrificed to an idol and, a, and an unbelieving friend invites me over, can I eat? Um, and, he, and Paul, by God's grace and led by the Spirit, carried along, uh, will say, yeah, eat without raising the issue of conscience. Now, that's, again, begging the question, if his conscience isn't bothered. If it is bothered, he shouldn't eat. And again, graciously say, I'm not sure about this. Um, and, and again, raise some questions in a gracious way. Um, but he says, if that's not a problem, just engage with thankfulness. Um, and again, not biblically, um, explicitly kind of uh, prohibited, but those areas of our life that uh, we wonder, what does God think? Well, again, I would say, do your best to evaluate according to the clear parts of Scripture, build the framework, build the handholds, build, start building a foundation for your understanding of what is the character of God like, what is the mission of God in, in this world, and how does this particular activity, uh, what is God's, or even in addition to that, what is God's intention for humankind, uh, is to honor God, glorify God in all that we do, whether we eat or drink. And if we can start building a framework that all things are meant to bend towards God's glory, not selfish indulgement, um, then we can begin to engage and say, run things through the filter of, is this making me more uh, like Christ? Is this going to make my character, my my families, my schedule, my money, is it all bending towards something greater than myself, the fact that there's a God who has redeemed us? Uh, is, it, is it kind of playing on that narrative that there is a God who loves us and sent his son? Glory to God for it. Or is what I'm about to partake in bending me, kind of shaping me, or what we'll say forming me into something more um, based, more something that's just selfish in nature? 
now again that's between uh you and god you and christ uh, as long as it's not pro- uh, explicitly prohibiting in god's word now again we could talk about this for a long time but uh, again one thing that again another thing that did not make it into the sermon is we will run into problems with culturally sensitive issues when we have absolutes um that or rather we have gray areas in our life right those things that aren't biblically clear um, and we we try to uh, make them into absolutes we try to eliminate the absolutes in order to give us freedom that's what i should say is that when we engage gray areas do not forfeit the absolutes that are laid down in scripture about who god is who jesus is even the life that he's purchased for us, freedom from sin in order that we might walk in newness of life. Don't eliminate absolutes in our appetite for gray areas. But at the same time, it can be equally as destructive for the community if we love absolutes and we try to eliminate gray areas. Um, is when we think every, that, that Scripture speaks equally clear on all areas of life. The fact remains that it just doesn't, and that it requires faith, independence, and de- uh, discernment on how to do this. It can be destructive when we th- when we say, I know the, what the Bible says on every subject all the time, and that there is no disagreeing with my perspective. So don't eliminate gray areas out of love for your absolutes. God's revelation is absolute. There are moral standards for sure. Again, we affirm that, but the reality remains there still are gray areas. Don't don't eliminate gray areas for the sake of absolutes, right? But also don't eliminate absolutes, meaning God's clear revelation, in an effort to just, again, indulge in the gray areas. If we can find middle ground to say God's absolutes give me a framework, understanding on how to engage faithfully with gray areas, um, again the and again the default is always deferring to withholding, and I think that's what Paul gets at in chapters nine and ten is that what's our default that if we have a conscience issue, is it first to say I'll do it and ask for for forgiveness later, or I will withhold and hopefully come to a better understanding to later engage. I think it's the la- the, the first. <laughs> that I can, The default is, I don't quite understand where this fits in. Let me hold off for now until I understand where what God's will is for me and what he would have us do. Ultimately, Paul is trying to pull us out of ourselves and into a understanding of ourselves that centered on God, on Christ. So whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Ask those questions. Am I doing this to simply satisfy an appetite, a bodily appetite or temptation? Um, or is this going to make me more into the image of Christ? Uh, and I'm going. is this teaching others to do the same, which is what we'll get into uh, this coming week. Uh, if you are able to join us, we'll look at um, the next part that Paul is getting into that All our choices are meant to uh, mimic Christ, and we get to be an example for people. So consider those around you, love them well, default to Christ, and show grace upon grace to all of those around you. May God's gospel just become apparent in our lives as a result.
Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, a ministry of Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. You can visit our website and find out more about our church at gracechristian.com. As well, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube.